Someone uh, sent me a card this week, one of our, our church people, and uh, asked me, did Jesus ever speak in tongues? I guess a good question. You know, we, we, we speak in tongues when we see the Holy Ghost. And did uh, Jesus ever speak in tongues? And uh, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted as, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? They didn't know what he was saying. Somebody said, he calls for Eli, he calls for Eli. But Jesus was speaking in a language they did not understand. And the reason they did not understand it was because he was speaking pure Hebrew. And in the New Testament, they spoke Aramaic. Not Arabic, but Aramaic, which was a, which was a mixture between Hebrew, uh, Chaldean, and whatever else that was going on at that time. It was just the language that would have evolved into that so in Jesus ministry he spoke Aramaic and uh, in his earthly ministry if you did commercialization stuff spoke like dealing with uh, commerce buying selling so forth they spoke Greek because Greek was the commercial language if you were dealing with royalty and the government you spoke Latin which was the uh, language of the of the of the uh, of the Romans, so forth. So they had these different languages like that they used. But when Jesus was on the cross, he spoke pure Hebrew, and he and what he was actually doing when he said those words, "My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me?" He was actually fulfilling prophecy in Psalms twenty-two, one, twenty-two, one. Now there's two chapters in the Bible that describes the crucifixions crucifixion of Jesus, very detailed. One is the 22nd chapter of Psalms. That's easy to remember because 23rd is the most popular, 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 22nd is the one that precedes that. And it is a description of the crucifixion of Jesus. The other chapter in the Bible that is a description of the crucifixion of Jesus is the 53rd of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 describes Jesus, if you were standing on the ground looking at him at the cross, it would describe him in the third person. We beheld him, he did this, we, and we, like you were standing there observing, and it was a fulfilling of the prophecy if you were like the centurion or one of the disciples standing at the foot of the cross watching it all. Uh, Psalms 22 is a description of Calvary if you were Jesus on the cross, how you felt, how it affected you, how you felt about it. And uh, this is why it says, and it starts out in Psalms 22, 1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's one of the only verses in the Bible where it depicts God as forsaking anybody. Forsaking anybody. So why does that? Why is that such an important verse of scripture concerning the crucifixion of Jesus? Because when Jesus, listen to me carefully on this. When Jesus died on the cross, folks, he died as a sinner. Not that he said he was without sin, but he took upon himself our sins, and all every one of us that would normally die and leave this life 
and say, my God, my God, why has that forsaken me? I don't feel God. God is nowhere around. That has been eliminated because the Lord took our sins upon himself. So that when Jesus died on the cross, he died in the agony of a sinner that took upon himself our sins. So when he said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? It was that expression that a sinner that does not know God would feel if he were to come to death and he does not know God and he dies without God. But you and I are spared that because he took upon himself our, our great love. Praise God. Well, praise God. I'll just leave that with you for whatever it's worth. Did Jesus speak in tongues? I don't know whether he, he already, already knew it was Latin or, I mean Latin, or already knew that it was Hebrew that he was speaking. You know, uh, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani. Got to put that K in there. Bachthani, the Jews put a little to it. And uh, it's, a, it's a Hebrew. You, you understand what I'm saying? And uh, so Jesus, so if, for whoever asked me, I know it was, there was, it was people in our church. I know who you are. And uh, so I'm answering your question. Did Jesus speak in tongues? If he did, that was it right there. That's the only one I know of in the Bible. Praise God. And the Bible speaks about them speaking in tongues a lot of places in the Bible. It prophesies about it in Isaiah. It speaks about it. And Jesus talked about it. And uh, in the gospel books, they would speak in tongues when the Holy Ghost would come and all of that. And it represents this, that the gospel is for the whole world, for all people, tongues, kindred, languages. And therefore, everybody speaks in languages. Let me just add this little thing to it, to what I'm saying here. I'll get to our, mess, our, our notes just a minute. Uh, one time, I heard somebody praying prayed through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they were speaking in a crazy, funny way. They were doing a talk like that. It was, uh, they were talking, and then they were in between it. And I said, are they, are they just playing around? Are they just faking tongues? Are they, they're not speaking in tongues. I questioned that myself. They went on that way for a while, and they do that pop-popping sound. I just said, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they even got the Holy Ghost because they sounded funny that kind. I don't know what they were doing. They were playing games or popping one. They were supposed to have been speaking in tongues. I was with Brother Sam Latta, who was one of our missionaries to Africa for many years. But Sam Latta passed away a couple, couple years ago. And uh, he... Missionary to Liberia and also to Rhodesia, which later became Zimbabwe. And uh, he took a lot of films and everything. One day he showed me some films of some of his experiences in his ministry in Africa. I was in his home in Atlanta at that time. He was back from the missionary field. And, uh, and he was filming a person speaking at language. And that person in the film would go, and they would speak in that language. And it was popping in between the, the syllables and everything. And I saw that on the film, and I said, wait a minute, Brother Latta, is that a language they're speaking? Oh, yeah. He said, that country in Central Africa, when they speak that language, speak their language, he said it has a sound to it. Sound like they're putting that in, in the middle of everything. And uh, I said, really? 
I never told him, but when I went away from there, I said, God, I will never, never, ever question anybody's experience when they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God taught me a lesson. Praise the Lord. When people get the Holy Ghost, there's no telling what language they speak in it because it doesn't sound like this, whatever I think a foreign language would sound like. Nevertheless, it's God's way of doing it. You understand what I'm saying? Praise God. Amen. God bless you. Well, everybody got your notes in your hands? Now let me make a confession to you. I went off this morning and left my Bible and my notes all at the house. I got to the church and I said, dear Lord, I don't have no notes, Bible, nothing. I prepare very thoroughly on my notes. I let my wife off. I got in the car and I drove all the way back home. Just rushed home. Rushed in my office, got my Bible, got my notes put them in the car, brought them back to church, got here, pulled my notebook out, got all my notes ready to go, picked up my Bible, and I had the wrong Bible. <laughs> all my notes are in the, I have, you know, three or four Bible, five Bibles maybe at home, and I have the same bunch of them here too. And there are Bibles that I study out of here, but I had all the notes in that other one and everything. So I got, I don't know how I'm going to do this morning. But let's just get started here, praise God. And if I had to go a little slow, you forgive me, praise the Lord, because I had some fabulous notes of that other Bible that I was going to give you a real good Bible lesson today. And we are in Revelations chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, and we'll, in lesson 9, I'm sorry, in chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles and would turn with us here, uh, I'm going to refer here to some scriptures here that we've been talking to you about. Uh, in chapter 11, we talked about how the chapter 11 was the beginning of the, uh, of the change in, uh, in the, uh, the restoration of Israel, is restoring Israel. And uh, this is the lesson that you should have with you right now. Let me get it up here on the board. This is the one you should have right now. And I'm going to give a focus here on this. Automatic focus. Okay. And I'm going to pump it up a little bit here, make it a little bit larger. This is where we are today. Everybody see that? You should have one in your hand. Okay. And uh, I want to just talk to you for a few minutes here because uh, this is where the Lord begins to turn back to Israel. Now, this has been the time of the Gentiles. We are still in the time of the Gentiles. This is the time anybody can be saved. When Jesus preached to the Jews, they rejected him. And they said, what shall, Pilate said, what shall I do to the man Christ Jesus? They said, crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. We reject Jesus as the Messiah. That's what they were saying in essence. And when they rejected him, they crucified Jesus on the cross, as you well know. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, and he was with his disciples in and out, round about, here and there, for 40 days on earth. And after 40 days, he and the 12, or the few that went with him, I don't know if it's the total 12, but they went across the Kidron Valley over on the Mount of Olives, and while they were on the Mount of Olives, Jesus ascended into heaven. And he went up into heaven. He said, as I go away, so shall I come. Two angels appeared to those men while they were looking up like this. 
And they said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into the heavens? The same Jesus that you see go away shall so come again in like manner. Now, Jesus is coming back one day for his church. And when he comes back, we arise to meet him in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise in Christ. The dead in Christ. That's the ones that's been that's repented of their sins, been baptized in his name, been filled with his spirit. They will rise to meet the Lord in the air first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise the Lord. But some 14 years later, 10 years, I don't know how long it is. I know it's at least seven. There's going to be an Armageddon time when Jesus comes back with 10,000s of his saints, as is described in the 19th chapter of Revelation. And when he does this time, he will set down, his feet will touch the Mount of Olives. The same place he went up, he'll come back and touch. And when he does, this is recorded in the 14th chapter of Zechariah. I'm just quoting scriptures here. That mountain, Mount Mount of, of Olives, will split open, will divide, it'll divide toward the north and toward the south. And a stream of water will come out of Jerusalem, out from under that eastern wall, and will come, come, uh, come out and will flow down into the desert and down into the Dead Sea, and it will be healing waters. It will heal everything it touches. The, the, the Dead Sea is, is, is salty sea. Uh, some of you have been in the Dead Sea. You've, you've been on Israel and everything. If you ever... If you ever go in the Dead Sea, you, you float. You, just, you can't sink in it unless you just, you just stick your head in it. But I've literally laid down in the Dead Sea and just put my hands like that. And the water just barely come over your ears here. Just lay on, lay on the sea. It's so salty. No, no life is in it. That healing waters will heal that water. And it will heal the desert. And the desert will bloom and all of that. That will happen in the beginning of the thousand years of peace that's going to come on the earth after all of these things. Now, where we are in, the, in our study here in the book of Revelation is where that all these things are happening on the earth and God is judging the Gentile world. But when you come to chapter 11, uh, the Lord turns back and begins to turn back to Israel and says, I'm going to restore Israel and raise her up as a nation because Israel as a nation will guide the world through the thousand years of peace. They'll be the leading nation and the Lord's presence and power and spirit. And all of his goodness will be out of, will flow out of Jerusalem in that fashion and sense of the word. Now, we talked last week about this restoration of Israel that's coming on the earth. That's not where we are today. Today, the door of salvation is wide open to whosoever will. You say, Brother Myers, does that mean not Jews, just Gentiles. No, it means everybody. The mystery that it talks about in this, uh, in this uh, 10th chapter of the book of Revelation, the mystery of it is all about the Jews and Gentiles together being saved. But after 11.1, uh, there is no more Gentiles saved. Look at 11.1 again. I'll read that, and then I'm going to move on because we've already talked about this. 11.1, there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein, but the court which is without the temple leave out. Measure it not, for it's given unto the Gentiles. Given unto them, don't measure it. 
Because what you don't measure is what's left out. What you measure is what God is going to bring back into his favor. And then he says, in the holy city shall they tread underfoot 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. And this three and a half years periods begin to crop up here in the book of Revelation for the first time. It's actually taken from the book of Daniel. And Daniel records it, I think, about three or four times. The book of Revelation records it five times. Four times in Daniel, five times in the book of Revelation here. If you look, for instance, in the, uh, in the next verse, third verse, I'm looking here at 11.3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the Lord. Notice here how they talk about these days, so many days, but they all add up to three and a half years. Three and a half years and days, uh, 42 months is three and a half years. Uh, later on, <clears throat> over in the 12th chapter, it talks about, uh, it talks about a time, a times, and a half a time. A time is one year. Times, S, is two years. That's three years together. And then it says a half a time. That's a half a year. So it says, again, you're looking at three and a half years here. So what I'm doing here is pointing out to you here these things that are in the scriptures. Now, uh, I think I've got a chart here. This is the book of Revelation, as we've already been talking to you about here. And if you'll notice here, these are all the judgments that we've been looking at here that's been falling on the earth right on up. And then we come to this area right here in 11, and then we go into chapter 12, where it starts talking about the three and a half years. So that's three and a half years here, three and a half years here. To all of it together, it's seven years. And in Daniel 9.27, it's, it's talked about as Daniel's 70th week. A week has appeared of seven years. Uh, seven weeks, 70 weeks. 70 weeks is 70 times 70. Let me, let me point it out to you like this. With the Jews, there was a, there was a special worship they had with God every seven years. After seven times seven years, you had 49 years. And then there was the 50th year that was called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is called the uh, Day of Jubilee, the Year of Jubilee. And it was a time when everything went back to the Jews and nobody could keep what they had bought from somebody else. They all had to give it, especially their lands and so forth. This was all done in the 50th year. Now, we're talking about 70 times 70, so it goes on and on. So you're talking about hundreds of years here involved. I won't go into detail, but Daniel talks about it, but it's God's divine plan for Israel. So there is 69 years up through uh, Daniel here that we're mentioning to you. And then finally in, in Daniel 9.26, then 9.27, it talks about the 70th year. That's to do with what is going to happen over here in prophecy. So that's what we're looking at at this time. Now, have I got you confused or are you still with me? Still with me? All right, all right. So I'm going to move on a little bit further here. I want you to look uh, at Zechariah 14. Again, this is a verse of scripture that we looked at the other day. Uh, Zechariah 14 describes something. I want to just talk to you for a few minutes about this. Let me get to it. Zechariah's. All right. Zechariah 12 it is. And uh, Zechariah 12, uh, 
10. This, let me get back to this one. We're, this is where we're looking at right here. Oops. I hit the wrong switch. What did I do? I put my wrist there. I think I put my hand on that and I, it went, it, I don't know. Turned it off. Well, there's a button here that's on and off, and I don't know. It's blinking. So I don't know what happened. What did I do? Well, anyhow, I'm going to read Zechariah chapter 12. Thank you. Just leave it. When it turns blue, it come back on us. All right, we don't turn blue. <laughs> we don't have no image. All right. Uh, Zechariah 12. Let me read this verse of scripture for you here. Verse 3. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All the burdens themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered against it. Look at verse 4. In that day, saith the Lord. Okay, and then we'll get it bright again. Uh, let's do that. Oh, the light up here. Which button? Man, this thing's got so many buttons on it. There we go. Thank you. That's got it. You had it. You had it. All right. Let's give him a hand. He keeps me straight. Him and Matt Mason. God bless him. All right. Look at, uh, and I'm reading here. This is where we're looking at here. Zechariah 12 and look at 10 11 here. Uh, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. Look at this closely, folks. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They have pierced. It speaks about the Jews piercing Jesus. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness for his firstborn. And in that day, thou shalt be great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadaramim in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, and the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, and the family of the house of Eli apart, and their wives apart, and the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart. All the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart, and they will mourn and pray and cry, and they'll pray through. And the Lord, if you will look at that again, will give them the spirit of grace. I'm going back to verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. You see, in other words, God is going to give them that spirit of grace and they are going to understand that God has brought them into his favor and that they will become the people of God. Now, that's what you and I have today. We have that spirit of grace. The spirit of grace is, uh, is unto us. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your background is. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you have done in your life. There is a spirit of grace extended to us. Anybody can be saved. 
I don't care what part of the world you're from. I don't care what language you speak. God has opened that door to the Gentile world. Anybody can come to him and be saved. And that's called the spirit of grace. And I want you to look. I don't have this in your notes here. But if you look at Eli, I mean, uh, uh, if you look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 real quickly with me. And I'm, I'm, I'm flipping over here to it myself. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to show you this. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his, for his great love, wherein he hath loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together. And Christ, by grace ye are saved. Everybody see that? By grace ye are saved. Now, grace is the unearned favor of God. It is the unmerited favor. We, do, we have no right to his grace. We have, no, we, we have not earned it, and we have no rights to it. The Jews had rights to the grace of God through Abraham. They said Abraham is our father. We, don't, we can't say Abraham is our father except through faith because he's the father of faith. We're the children of faith, therefore, in that sense of the word, he is our father only through faith. But the Bible here says that by grace ye are saved, by grace and look at this, uh, look at the sixth verse, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> For by grace are you saved through faith. Through faith. And, and let me just say it this way the best I can say it. And that is that we do not deserve to be saved. We have no rights to be saved. But the Lord, because of his mercy, his goodness, kindness, and his grace toward us, we can be saved. But grace alone, just from that alone, will not save us. There has to be a response to grace. Grace alone has to be a response. See, Jesus died for the whole world, but the whole world is not saved. And the whole world will not be saved. Because each individual in the world must respond to the grace of God. Praise the Lord. And so our response to the grace of God is said, yes, God, I believe. I believe. I believe. And we have to believe on the Lord. So we are saved by grace in that through faith. Faith, praise the Lord, is our believing in the Lord that he has died on the cross. The grace of God is Calvary. The grace of God is God's dealing with us. You know, when, when I first came, to, when I came to church and got saved, and many times before that, before I ever got saved, I'd go to church and I'd feel the presence of God and God dealing with me and God called me to an altar of repentance and I'd fight it off. I'd fight it, I'd just resist it. But one night, one night I went to church and I didn't resist it anymore. I went to the altar. You, you did the same thing. That's the grace of God dealing with me, pulling at my heartstrings. And so the Lord saying, I love you, I want to save you, I want you to be mine, you know, and so forth. That's the grace of God. Calvary is the grace of God. The shedding of his blood, the grace of God. The giving of his life, the grace of God. Praise the Lord. 
But we respond by believing, amen. You can have two people. You can have two people sitting together and sitting in the church together. The same message is preached. And both of them hear the same message and both of them get under conviction. And one of them says, I'm going to go to the altar and repent of my sins. I'm going to get baptized in Jesus' name, have my sins washed away. The other one says, I'm out of here. And he turns and walks out the door. He rejects it. You understand what I'm saying? So we're saved by grace and that through faith, through faith. Praise the Lord. So you've got to have the faith uh, involved there that we might do it. Now, faith always has a works with it. Faith has works. Faith, praise the Lord, we call them works. The Bible, even James calls them works. Their faith in action is what it is. Faith in action. Uh, go to the book of Hebrews for a moment. I want to show you something. This is uh, Hebrews 11. And uh, talks about the first three verses. talks about faith, what it is. The first time starts giving examples in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Notice that. Faith, Abel in his faith offered a sacrifice. Uh, it says here, by faith, Enoch being translated because he had this testimony that he pleased God. What he did, he pleased the Lord. By faith, Noah, being warned of God and things to come, moved with fear, prepared an ark. Notice the works involved or the actions of faith. If the Lord had said to Noah, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth by water, and the Lord Noah says, yeah, okay, sure, I believe you, yeah, I believe you. And uh, you're going to build an ark. That's the works involved in his faith. But, and if Noah would have said, well, yeah, go ahead, I, yeah, I, I believe you, Lord, but I don't, don't want to have to build an ark, you know what I mean? So his works would not have saved him, the works of faith. So it goes all the way through. I mean, this goes all the way down uh, by faith. They kept the Passover, the Passover, where they had to apply the blood across the top for it. They had to apply the blood. They could have said, yeah, I believe that the oldest son of every family is going to die. This is in Egypt before the Jews came out. Yeah, I believe that's going to happen. But unless they applied their faith, do you understand what I'm saying? So faith has to be applied. This is where denominational churches go astray. They think it's all up here. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. It stops right there. And I've used this example before. You know, if I were to say to you, the building's on fire, I hope nobody's sleeping. The building's not on fire. But if I were to say real loud, the building's on fire. If you run out of this exit here, you can be saved. Or go out those two exits, you can be saved. That's the way out. Okay? If you believe me, you would act upon my instructions, right? But if you sit there and said, he's just kidding. He's not suffering over. I don't believe it. And I can say, don't you believe the building? Oh, yeah, I believe, brother. Yeah, I believe. But your actions show you don't believe. You understand what I'm saying? So we act upon our faith. And now this is what it goes on to say in, in Hebrews. This whole 11th chapter of Hebrews is by faith they did this, by faith they did that, by faith they did. Finally, it says they marched around the walls of Jericho, the children of Israel, seven times. By faith, they marched around the walls of Jericho. Praise God. So faith has to be implemented. It has to be applied. Folks, that's what repentance is. We repent, it is our faith being applied. You say, yeah, I believe. No, but have you repented of your sins? I don't have to. I've got faith. Not if you don't repent. 
because repentance is an act of your faith. Yes, I believe God will save me. I believe he died for my sins. I believe in the grace of God. Praise the Lord. And Lord, I ask you to save me, me, this old fellow right here. Baptism is an act of faith. Baptism is not a works. It's an act of faith. Praise the Lord. It's faith put in action. Hallelujah. So when the Bible says repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall be saved. Amen. So Peter was right when he said that. So they are acts of faith. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that we're saved by grace and that through faith, through faith, our faith is put in action. Praise the God. All right. Let me move on here. I want to talk to you a little bit about the children of Israel themselves. Uh, the Bible talks about Israel turning back to the Lord many places. It talks about in Ezekiel, it talks about in Jeremiah, it talks about in Isaiah, it talks about uh, in Zechariah, it talks about in um, just in, in uh, uh, other minor books of the, New, of the Old Testament. But it talks about the Lord will one day turn the hearts of Israel back to him. And this is what this 12th chapter is all about. I want you to go to chapter 12 for just a moment here. Chapter 12. And uh, this Bible here, I got these pages stick together. Verse 12, there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. If you've got your Bibles right in there, Israel. This is a symbolic description of Israel. And remember that this is a scene in heaven that uh, John is seeing here that's being revealed to him. He's having a vision given to him by the Lord. And, uh, And he sees this woman in heaven. And she being with child cried travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared under another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and had cast him to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, what this man-child, this is a man-child. Look at verse 5. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God into his throne. And uh, this is also mentioned in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 7. If you give us that on the screen, we'll look at it in just a moment. Isaiah 66, verse 7, where it describes it. But this is speaking of the Jews that are going to the predominant leaders of the world during the thousand years of peace and will also be those that will lead the Jews at Armageddon whenever the battle of Armageddon happens in the 19th chapter of Revelation. This is all recorded later on. We'll be looking at it in detail. But what I am pointing out to you here is that this 12th chapter is a shaping up and everything is put in symbolic terms. Talked about a woman. She's going to have a baby. Actually, it's Jews. Remember over in chapter uh, 6 or chapter 7 where it talked about the 144,000 that are sealed against death? And they were Jews. Remember that? It says 12,000 from each tribe, 12,000 to 144,000 Jews. These will be leaders in that thousand years of peace. You say, Brother Myers, where will we be doing all that? We'll be with Jesus. <laughs> we 
worry. It will be with him. We'll be in the holy city. And incidentally, if you, in case you want to know, you can, you can go back and forth. You can go to the earth up there. It doesn't matter. You'll have a glorified body. We will like under his glorified body. Folks, we have the highest reward that God has prepared for anyone. And that will come from the church. The church, the church is Jews and Gentiles alike on the face of this earth. You know, that early church was mostly Jews and eventually became more Gentiles and Jews. And that's where we've come in here in, our, in the end of time here today. Uh, but these, uh, these Jews will lead the, lead the world in that time. And this is all a preparation for that. And uh, if you look at Isaiah 16, before she travailed, she brought forth, before pain came, she was delivered of a man child. And there are other scriptures as well that talks about uh, Israel giving birth. This is not talking about Jesus because Jesus, this is long, this was written in 968. Jesus was born in 100 years before that and lived his life and, and, and was crucified and rose again and went to heaven. This is not talking about Christ. This is talking about these Jews that's going to be brought forth and they were spoken of as a man child, just as a baby because it's used singular terms here. Now, let me go a little bit further here. The devil gets after him. She's in travail. And I could give you many more verses involved in that, but I won't do it. But the, uh, there's a, a dragon that comes after her. And uh, I'm going to give you another chart here. So, Brother uh, Ed, if you'll hand out that chart to these brothers. Brother, if you'll pass out this chart, this is what you're going to be getting now. The fall of Satan. Because I'm going to have you go to Revelations chapter 12 here. You're, in, you're already in 12. And I'm looking at, at verse 9. Well, we'll read 7, 8, 9. And there was war in heaven. Michael, his angels, fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought with his angels. This dragon, who is this dragon? And prevailed not, neither was there a place found anymore in heaven. Look at verse 9. This is 12, 9 now of Revelation. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. Now, if you want to know who the dragon is, it spells it real clear there. That old serpent, which is called the devil and Satan. Satan and the devil is the same. Which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Angels. There were fallen angels. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it. So if you look at your chart there, this is what you're looking at right now. And so I want you to turn with me here to Isaiah, I mean to Ezekiel 28, 14. Ezekiel 28, 14. And uh, while you're getting your charts, and I'll try to get there myself. And uh, if you look at the 14th verse, I'm going to back it up 
And I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to read the 11th verse in your Bible. You'll back up with me at the sound place up there. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, verse 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Notice that. Thou hast been in the Eden, the garden of God. That's the devil. All right. Every precious stone was, was a covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond. Beryl. I won't read all the diamonds and stuff there. It goes right on down to the, to the end of the 13th verse where it says, And of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day of that thou wast created. Now we are born as people. So this is speaking of something spiritual. This is the day that thou wast created. It said thou had been already to go. Look at verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 15. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created until iniquity was found in thee. And then he goes on to talk about how that that this, this iniquity now will destroy him. Uh, verse 17, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty and corrupted in thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. And I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that thou mayest behold thee. So forth. Uh, now, I'm just pointing out to you here, this is the description of the fall of Satan. God made him, Satan, to be one of his angels. But God gave the angels a free will, just like he gives you and I free will. Because God doesn't want anybody in heaven that doesn't want to be there or anyone that's going to be rebellious to him. He's the creator. He's the maker. He's the giver of life. He's the master of it all. And we must give him regard and honor and praise for all of that. Now, we've got that spirit of rebellion in our hearts. He allows us to have that to this day. He allowed the angels to have that so he could prove the angels. And there was a third of them that followed Satan. They said, yeah, we're going to rebel. Uh, Let me give you another verse of scripture here just to confirm it. The Bible says, the mouth of two or three witnesses, let their word be established. This is the one found in Isaiah 14. Uh, If you'll look at Isaiah 14 with me for just a moment. And uh, these are... All right. 14, 12. Everybody there with me? It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. See that? This is Satan, what was in his heart. 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So I'm just reading a couple of verses here to show you that started out, God set him on the holy mount of God. This is where Satan was originally. Is my time gone?
It is, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you what. Keep your chart. We'll pick up with the fall of Satan next week. And uh, God love you. You've been, a good, you've been a good class. I have not been a good teacher today because I have been just Sue Charlotte. Sue Charlotte is an Italian word meaning all mixed up. Amen. Let's stand together.